once again turn to the Gospel of John for our sermon reading today. This can be found on page 1520 in your pew Bibles or in your worship folders. Jesus' words, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna, and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. This is the gospel of our Lord. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you want to live forever? Kind of an important question. And according to science fiction writers like the book Altered Carbon, living forever is actually possible. In that book, Altered Carbon, every human being, again as said in a futuristic time, every human being from the time shortly after birth are implanted with what is called a cortical stack right at the base of the skull. And this cortical stack contains your consciousness, your feelings, your emotions, who you are. As you grow up, while your body may grow older, that cortical stack remains the same. And then for a price, you would be able to remove that cortical stack from one body and place it into another, thereby living as long, at least as long as you have money for it. And so the rich are actually able to live forever because they're able to have clones of themselves on ice. They can even have clones of themselves in different parts of the world that they can then just remove that cortical stack and then place it whenever and wherever they want. That seem a little far-fetched? Tell me honestly, does that seem far-fetched? It kind of does, doesn't it? Until you realize there's actually people in the world working on something very similar to that. Over in Russia, there is a Russian billionaire by the name of Dmitry Itzkop who started what is called the 2045 Initiative. And this initiative, with all his billions of dollars he's pouring into achieving immortality, his goal is by 2045 to have the technology available to to implant a human brain into a robotic cyborg. This is actually a thing. Go look it up on Google. That is what he hopes to have done by 2045 and thus achieve immortality. 
But why this desire for immortality? Why this desire to live, if not forever, at least live for a long time without getting old? Where does it come from? Where is this avoid death at all costs mentality come from? Because it isn't just the science fiction writers, and it isn't just the Russian billionaires who are thinking about this. It's something that if we take a look at our own lives, we want for ourselves too. We may not want our consciousness uploaded into a machine, but think of some of the things we do hope for, the things we do long for. I don't know anyone who isn't hoping for a cure for cancer someday or some other disease. People look to any diet or exercise regime to help them feel younger than they really are. People spend thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars on plastic surgery to make themselves look and feel younger than they are. People use makeup. Or if the hair starts to gray, some of people use dyes to, to make it dark. Or if you're a guy, you might even shave your hair all off just to avoid that idea or the look of balding just a little bit. What is this other than trying to avoid or at least delay or at least look like we're not as old as we really are? To delay the inevitable, death. Death has been called the ultimate statistic. One out of every one person that lives eventually dies. Death might come sooner for some people than we expect. It might wait for a long time, but the eventual reality is death is coming for each and every one of us. And perhaps part of the uncertainty behind death is why we long to live forever. But the Bible gives us another reason. Another reason why we may long to live forever. Because that's what our bodies were designed to do. If you think about it, when you page to the opening chapters of the Bible, God creates the world in six 24-hour days. Everything we see around us created it good, created it perfect. The animals didn't fight and kill with one another. Adam and Eve didn't fight and they certainly didn't kill one another. Everything was good. Everything was perfect. There was no death. Adam and Eve were designed in the image of God. They were designed to not die. Dying was something completely unnatural. Yet something changed. And if you've read your Bibles any amount of times, if you've come to church any amount of times, you know exactly what that thing was. Sin entered the world, and because of sin came death. Adam and Eve chose to listen to the lie of the devil instead of the truth of God. They chose to listen to their own feelings instead of the will of God. They chose death over life. They ate the fruit of that forbidden tree. And in that moment, everything changed. What was once unnatural, dying, became inevitable. And the same thing has happened to everybody that has lived since then. 
shown in the early genealogies of Genesis. When you start reading through Genesis, you have the creation of the world, you have the fall into sin, you have Adam and Eve having their first kids, you got Cain and Abel, but then after that, you get several chapters worth of genealogies. Most people think they're kind of boring and they skip right over them. But it's saying, Adam lived for so many years, had Seth, and lived for so many years, and then he died. Seth lived for so many years, and then he died. So-and-so lived for so many years, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died. The ringing gong of death, that constant reminder of Adam and Eve's rebellion against a holy God. Constant reminder of what was once unnatural had become inevitable. Our bodies can no longer live forever. And what is true for us in the 21st century A.D., that longing to live longer than we might have, was certainly true for the Jews living in the 1st century A.D., especially those that, that encountered Jesus. They longed to live, if not forever, at least a longer time, to do whatever it took to get from day to day. And when Jesus came about, and when Jesus created a feast from just a few loaves of bread and a few fish, they got excited because this was something unnatural. Maybe, just maybe, this was God in the flesh who had come to solve all of their problems, to give them free food for life. Yet, what does Jesus say? We've been hearing it over the last few weeks. Jesus did not come to, to be their bread king. He did not come to just, just hand out food to everybody. He did not come to, to heal every sick person and every lame person in Israel. He did not come to kick out the dreaded Romans. Rather, he came to give them the answer to life's biggest question. Do you want to live forever? He came to be the answer for death. But if this is what he came for, and if this is what they wanted, why did so many people reject him, both then and even now. In short, because even though they wanted to live forever, they wanted to do it on their own terms. They wanted to be the ones who came up with that solution, not someone else, not riding on someone else's coattails. And so when, when Jesus provided physical food for them, they were all for that. They said, yes, Jesus, that's what we want. But as soon as Jesus starts talking about eating his flesh and eat, drinking his blood, they said, no, 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 no. And I don't think it was because they didn't understand him. Sometimes we, we think that they, people back in those days didn't have any common sense at all. But they did. I think they would have known pretty quickly that Jesus was not literally talking about tearing him limb from limb and saying, now you can live forever. But he was talking metaphorically. But even then, that was something that they didn't want. That was something that they couldn't believe. When Jesus says, to eat my flesh and to drink my blood, he was talking about following him. He was talking about the sacrifice that he would have to make and that anybody who followed him would have to make as well. And that was a sacrifice they were not willing to make even to live forever. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. First of all, anytime you're reading your Bible and you see those words, 
I tell you the truth? Pay attention to what's happening next because it's probably important. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. The flesh and blood Jesus was talking about was the sacrifice he was going to make on behalf of the world. The sacrifice he made on the cross where he gave up his life unto death, was buried in a grave. But death could not contain him. Death did not have the power to keep Jesus dead, and so instead he rose from the grave, defeating the power of death, destroying the grip that death has even on our lives, destroying the sting of death. And this is what comes from eating the bread of life. This is what it takes to live forever. No exceptions. Let's face it. Even though we know this, we're still pretty good at coming up with exceptions. We're pretty good at coming up with excuses. We're pretty good with coming up with caveats. And, and generally speaking, whenever we call it an excuse, a caveat, or, or anything like that, we, we know it's wrong, and yet we're still trying to justify it in our own minds. When we try and justify the behaviors and actions that, that we want to follow, as if somehow God wasn't very clear when he made mention about this. We insist on having the last word when it comes to the matters surrounding our own life, whether it's on sexuality, whether it's coming to relationships, whether it comes to who's right and who's wrong, when is it right to be angry, when is it not right to be angry. We can rationalize in our own heads that we are eating the bread of life all the while we have not given up any of the sinful behaviors that God has told us to give up. And even when we might, by the grace of God, actually believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life for us, we can still ask those questions that might make those exceptions. can't tell you the amount of times I've heard the question, what about those people that have never heard of Jesus before? God couldn't possibly send them to hell, could he? can't tell you the amount of times I've been at a funeral or a wake when they say, oh, that person, he was a great person and he's in a better place. When sometimes the last 40 years of that person's life have shown no signs of Christian behavior whatsoever. And in fact, some of the behaviors have been strictly anti-Christian. And if that's the case, then he certainly is not in a better place. can't tell you how many times I've heard from parents of adult children who have left the church. And they said, oh, well, since little Johnny was in, in confirmation class and he came to church all throughout his youth and, and he got confirmed, he's still a believer. Even though he hasn't been to church in several years, even though he's living in sin, even though he, he's shown actions that don't show him to be a Christian. We can make all sorts of exceptions why we feel that God should listen to me. Yet when Jesus gives the answer, do you want to live forever? And that answer is, eat the bread of life. He means, eat the bread of life, no exceptions. 
Even his very words describe how we are to eat it. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood. He doesn't say, whoever has eaten my flesh or has drank my blood in the past, whoever did get confirmed, whoever has listened to me in the past but no longer listens to me now. He says, whoever is doing this right now, whoever is believing, is saved. And this is what makes Christianity both the easiest thing in the world and also the most difficult thing in the world. It's the easiest thing in the world because God's grace is always there. It's always there for that repentant sinner to come back to, be able to hear that their sins are forgiven and that they have eternal life right then and there. But it's the most difficult thing in the world because God's grace is always there. It can be easy to take it for granted or to say, I know where to find it when I really need it, or I'll come back to it tomorrow. We can take it for granted or we can even just ignore it. Believing in Jesus is not simply a one-time act. It's not simply coming to church on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning. Being a Christian means following Jesus. It means listening to Him. Listening to Him even when it doesn't make the most sense in the world. Listening to Him even when it goes against every inclination that we want to do. It's putting God's will first, not ours. All this. And the reward is to live forever. There is no other way. Not stacks implanted at the bottom of our skulls not melding our brains with cyborg robots, no amount of diet and exercise or plastic surgery is going to be able to do it. That can only delay it, and even that, it's questionable of how much. The one thing that has not failed is Jesus. For he is the one who not only died, but came back to life. But he promises that when we follow him, when anyone follows him, that they will rise from the dead and live forever with Him in heaven. Amen. Now may He who began a good work in you carry it out to completion in the day of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.